Hello and welcome to this sixth episode of On the Pod, my lord. I'm James Rushton. As usual, I'm joined by both Ellie Sanford and Adam Clark. How are you both doing, guys? Good, mate. Good. How are you? I'm all good, man. I bet you're uh, better, Ellis. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from the post-Euros hangover, all is good. And Adam, how are you doing yourself, mate? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't don't have anything like Ellis to boast about in the, uh, <laughs> the particular English national sense. Uh, but, you know, I've, I'm doing fine. There's no better uh, segue than that, is there? How was Wales, well, Wales's summer for you? Um, weather aside, our summer has been beautiful on the football pitch, at least, anyway. I mean, Euros, who, could have, who could have expected that? Who could... oh, man, it, 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 was, it still hasn't fully sunk in just what we achieved, even though we didn't get to the final. We, like, surpassed our expectations, and it was just brilliant it captured the nation and loving it not gonna lie and adam how's yours mate for england (laughs) yeah not great you know another another disappointing summer tournament really um you know it's just a lot of the problems that look like they've been fixed and now it looks like those problems have not been fixed at all yeah uh i stopped watching england properly when i was i bowled my eyes out in 2006 when i went out to portugal (laughs) <laughs> and I've never watched them fully, uh, firmly ever since. I think it was 2008 that was the real kicker, actually, after 2006. It's like you're having your heart kicked around the pitch. But um, yeah, uh, the Euros were a pretty solid tournament. They're getting a lot of uh, flack for how defensive the football was. But there were some real surprises there. And uh, man, I'm so excited to have Ellis on it to speak about Wales because, Jesus, <laughs> like, I still can't get over it. I mean, Gareth Bale, arguably one of the world's best footballers. You'd expect something, but not maybe not a semi-final, potentially a final appearance, but amazing. It's a shame there's no third-place playoff, really. Uh, so Wales could really have uh, cemented a foothold on that tournament. But I'm really excited to see what they can do in the future. Man, you must be so happy. Do you know what I love, though? Gareth Bale, top five players on the planet, potentially. He wasn't even our best player, which just goes to, <laughs> to show we're not a one-man team, like everyone was saying, coming into the tournament. Who was your best player? Aaron Ramsey, I reckon, which oh, man. probably didn't help our cause in the semi-final because we lacked that creative midfielder and Portugal just had one up on us that day. Yeah, it's a shame. Portugal, eventual winners of the tournament. Mm. Uh, defensive football, they say, Adam, uh, but it won on the tournament. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I think that's, in a way, people you know people remember the great moments from tournaments and they forget you know how dull certain matches It's just the nature of knockout tournaments is that lots of teams are going to go out there and be defensive. I mean, you know, the fact that Portugal didn't manage to beat anyone, you know, in 90 minutes for what was it, like the last four or five games of that tournament? Yeah, yeah. Is a little bit disappointing, obviously. Uh, On the other hand, you know, I think it goes to show with what Ellis was talking about, you know, teamwork, and that's what defence is really all about. That's about structure, that's about knowing where your teammates are. Uh, Teamwork won the tournament. Yeah, I mean... um... We do talk about passion and determination and grit a lot, but there, you know, there's no better football sight than and Cristiano Ronaldo. We were proper, you know, pretty much a career-threatening injury. Maybe we don't know yet, um, but he was on the sideline screaming at the players in in the place of the manager. He was dictating who would take the free kicks. You know, that's incredible. <laughs> and from a player, some may consider to be so selfish and so self-centered. He re. You know, that was incredible to see. Amazing. And, it, you know, may have galvanised the entire team. I mean, I just want to say, the way he was up and moving on that sideline, I 
don't think it was a career-threatening injury. His oh, man, that photo made me quite <laughs> sick. I'm, also, I'm, that reminded me of Luke Nealis, if I'm you pre- guys remember that. I'm pretty sure that was photoshopped. Like, you reckon? Because that, that, sh- that photo made it look like it was his ankle that was twisted the wrong way, not his knee. So I'm ah, fair enough. sceptical. The, the, there were some pretty good comments that, you know, if you take something in slow motion at its absolute worst moment and then put a big red circle around it, yeah, it's going to look bad. It's yeah. look bad. I mean, I, oh, think, fair enough. I think James, you're looking for a little bit of the clickbait title there. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe. But, hey, consider his age, 31. Uh, maybe it's time to call it. Who knows? I've just got to really dig myself out of this hole I've created. Bloody hell. I think Russian calls for Cristiano Ronaldo to quit the game. <laughs> he's made enough money. He's won the tournament. He's done everything he possibly can, I feel. Uh, maybe a World Cup next year if they in two years if they uh, do what they did they stole the tournament amazing they did a yeah, Greece I mean this might be taking the football kind of hipster purism too far but there is surely a pretty big metaphor in you know arguably the biggest name player in the world you know the player who is routinely accused of you know all the play throws through him and you know that's to the detriment of his side him going off injured and his side grinding out you know, a structural victory over a team of very talented individuals who couldn't seem to break down, you know, a team who were playing just really well as a group. I mean, we see it too often. I mean, we saw it with Leicester. It, a team beats uh, the individual talent. And like as you said, this is perfect just juxtaposition because you've got the very embodiment of the self-centered player in the team that eventually won the tournament through playing, you know, grinding out that result. It's... Mind-blowing. I don't think we expected that when we uh, previewed the uh, the tournament last episode, Adam. We did Bloody not. How? Yeah. I mean, I, I said... So... <laughs> we did not. Is there anyone... Can either of us take any plaudits from our, from our predictions? I don't think so. Um, I think I did predict... Did we both predict France in the final? I'm pretty yeah. sure I did. Uh, I think we predicted England to be close. I don't think we predicted Wales... <laughs> to uh, do so well, we we said uh, get out of the group, I, I believe, and uh, I said Northern Ireland and Republic of Ireland would escape their groups. And uh, you did, believe... you were high on Northern that's Ireland. A good call. Yeah, and man, I should have placed a bet. I feel <laughs> I really should have, but uh, yeah, they both got uh, thoroughly their asses kicked firmly once they got through. But uh, yeah, and um... uh, I think there's probably a decent segue into Aston Villa there, Kieran Clark possibly responsible for some of the Republic of Ireland's struggles? Possibly. Oh, bloody hell. Not possibly. More than possibly. Um, still a very immature player, I feel. He's, he's, you know, he's quite talented. He's quite a solid footballer, but he does go so far over his head. He sees red. He gets a red mist. That's how I'd pull it. And uh, it leads to him running out of position, causing wild tackles that sometimes do work out. Um, but I don't... Oh, he needs to sort that out, really. Yeah, at the risk of angering angering our fan base, you know, we all remember that uh, that slide tackle that he did where he ran out to the halfway line. Can't remember who it was against, but he called, you know, made the other player cartwheel. Yeah. Oh yeah, Jeffrey Schlupp. Um, he yeah. done a full uh, backflip, didn't he? <laughs> and we loved it, but it was him trying to do that same kind of tackle out on the wing uh, against. Uh, oh, Eden Hazard, who is no Jeffrey Schlupp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No chance. No and, chance. Uh, he missed it entirely, and uh, obviously, you know that opened them up for the counter attack and the goal. Ellis, how do you feel about Kieran? Um, I like the bloke. Firstly, that's. Like, <laughs> I think that's all we can say, really. <laughs> the Tim Sherwood like, school right. of opinion, top bloke. Um, but Good lad. Yeah, he he needs a more experienced defender beside him to say 
dude rein it in. So Tommy Elphick theoretically could be useful Ooh, in boom talking of experienced defenders look at ellis pulling out the segways there <laughs> man that, yeah that's an incredible one tommy Alfit can really galvanize villa's defense i mean whoever he's playing with surely will have their uh, head screwed on even if it's someone as senior as julian lescott less said about him the better i feel but yeah uh Juve is won by portugal arguably the best team came in second place um, but yeah, man, there's another big tournament this summer, Adam, and you're the expert on it. Go ahead, Copa America there time. Indeed, the Copa Centenario has just finished. So we've got all sorts of segues here because we can talk about... Firstly, let's talk quickly about Villa players. So Carlos Sanchez, uh, Villa's other international representative, uh, sent off for Colombia. <laughs> in there, in their, I can't quite remember if it's their quarterfinal or their semifinal match. Uh, yeah, I think it was a quarter. Uh, was it? No, it was a semi because Jack Jack Grimsey was, and I was like interviewed him. Was playoff? Actually, I don't, I don't know. Uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm 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 it. it was definitely the competitive rounds that he got ah, that he got sent off. Uh, so, yep, obviously uh, not the proudest of days for him either. But overall, I was very happy because Chile won the Copa America. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm a big fan of Chile. I've, I've spent some time out there, English teaching, and uh, they are my adopted second national side and a much more successful one than England, I have to say, because this was their second Copa America in two years. Amazing, isn't it? <laughs> really yeah, is. It is. Incredible, and, uh, incredible ar- stuff. Arguably, they've just ended uh, Lionel Messi's international career, possibly, because uh, after a nil-nil and a Chile win on penalties, which was, again, a result of last, the same result as last year's, uh, Copa America. Uh, Messi declared that he was done with the Argentinian national side, and uh, that was going to be it for him. He was he was no longer going to try and compete after three finals, three lost finals. What do we feel about that? Yeah, I think the backstory is that the Argentine FA are a bit of a mess, and I don't think our Lionel uh, he wants to be a poster boy for them anymore. Um, so he's just called it a day. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But um, yeah, I, there's better people with more knowledge about the Argentine FA than I do saying the same thing so yeah Lionel's called it quits hasn't he he's I mean, done he's probably got more on his mind you know like the whole criminal proceedings like stealing money yeah. excuse that. me we are all Lionel Messi <laughs> <laughs> that was a horrible horrible campaign and I really I've got a Barcelona shirt I've been to the stadium a few times and I, you know I've been to a few matches and that club has got such a great you know public image and it's all for the people and this can't be further against that image <laughs> this failed. literally cannot yeah so for those who don't know uh, after Lionel Messi was convicted of something like 200 million euros of tax fraud it was a lot of money it was a lot it was a lot and uh, and a prison sentence that he is almost certainly never going to serve um, Barcelona launched the hashtag on Twitter we are all Lionel Messi leading many people to consider whether they were indeed the world's best football player and a tax cheat. Uh, <laughs> most people come to the conclusion that they were not. But yeah, like, how do you even have the cojones to do that? It's it's incredible. I mean, Lionel Messi's crime, on the scale of crimes, it's obviously not so bad. He didn't cause harm to anyone except, you know, the wallet of Spain itself. Uh, it's a bad crime. Tax evasion, you know, it's something to be frowned upon heavily, especially by those who are privileged, like Lionel Messi is. He has worked hard to get where he is, but it doesn't mean you can, you know, fiddle with money. Uh, but yeah, you can't come out and say something like that. <laughs> you can't... <laughs> we are all on no we aren't we we aren't rich we aren't privileged we don't have the adoration of you know the world soccer fans bloody hell how out of touch you have to be 
incredible. Yeah, and it'll be interesting. I think that may have led a few more people to be fonder of um, Chile's victory in the Copa America than they would otherwise be. Generally, there would have been a bit of a, you know, uh, a surge of, you know, very disappointing for Messi, obviously, probably almost certainly acknowledged as the world's best player. But his problem is that he may never be acknowledged as the best ever, so long as he can't win an international tournament with his team, unlike Maradona or Pele. And uh, there have been some pretty pointed criticisms from Maradona and from other Argentinians back home. But a great achievement by Chile. And again, another side that is really kind of proving the, the value of a team ethic. Yeah, man. Uh, you can't... Be- I- I don't know if it's whether you can't believe it or not, but you wouldn't expect Chile to be among these footballing superpowers of South America. Personally, from me anyway, you'd expect it to be Colombia, Argentina, Brazil. I don't think you know Chile would come fourth, not first, especially with the North American involvement in this tournament as well. Yeah, I mean, not at all. I mean, it's really, you know, they are working off once-in-a-generation talent. You know, okay, Alexis Sanchez and Arturo Vidal, you know, are, are bona fide world stars. But at the same time, they've got a whole bunch of players who are not uh, QPR fans, or if anyone was paying attention while QPR were in the Premier League, boom, <laughs> Eduardo Vargas and uh, Mauricio Isla. Those are two players who briefly featured for QPR under Harry Redknapp look like nothing uh but for the chilean national side they'd been integral parts of uh you know a great national international side over the years and uh we're going to see a very interesting clash i was just looking this up there will be this uh in 2018 the artemio franchi trophy uh does anyone know what this is no literally no (laughs) okay this (laughs) this is a tournament that will be held between the winners of the copa america and the euros uh, also including the runners-up of those two tournaments. So, and it has only ever been held twice before, in 1985 and in 1993. So someone might say some kind of World Cup. <laughs> you might, yeah, issue. absolutely. More cynical might say a cynical money grab. But either or, way... Uh... The Confederations Cup is pretty much that. <laughs> But it will it will be interesting to see. Um, so you're going to cool. see Chile. Chile will play initially against the losing runners up of the Euro uh, of the Euros, France, and Argentina will play against the winners of the Euros, Portugal, and then the winners of those respective matches will play each other. And it'll be very interesting to see because um, Chile and Argentina were playing quite similar similar styles in this tournament. They both played this kind of high pressing, counter attacking style. Whereas the European teams, obviously Portugal played this slightly defensive teamwork game and yeah. France were playing slightly this. Defensive. Yeah, slightly. Well, you have to, and we'll see. I mean, and then France were playing, you know, obviously trying to get all the talents of, you know, all their ridiculously talented generation for them in. Amazing stuff. Well, uh, I mean, Copa America, someone who featured heavily was Brad Guzan. Um, pretty much someone who is a, a very Jekyll and Hyde player. For the American squad, he seems like a, a very talented goalkeeper on occasion. But for us and Villa, uh, he's a pretty poor performer. Yeah, I mean, again, he's always had his moments. And I think he had a fairly solid Copa America, I think. I mean, I didn't watch any of it, but I didn't hear that he was particularly awful. And I feel like I probably would have if he did. But you've got to imagine with the new keeper, his time at Villa's done. Yeah, he pretty much just got buried by Messi. That was it. You you know, everyone does, except Chile. You can't really hold that against him, can you? Because he's Messi at the end of the day. But yeah, uh, going forward, man. uh, Sorry, Adam, did you want to say something about Bradley? 
Uh, I was just going to say it's interesting. I mean, you said that um, you know this is probably the end for him with our with our new keeper. I'm going to try it here. Pierluigi Golini. Yes. Pierluigi Golini. Or if I you believe. see an Aaron Tishbola's <laughs> Snapchat where he calls him Luigi and Golini responds with an eloquent "fuck off," <laughs> which is uh, pretty incredible. Yeah, Pierluigi uh, Golini uh, mm-hmm. signed from Hellas Verona for a pretty cheap fee. I will yeah, say that, so that, pretty cheap fee. That was actually what I was going to pick up on. Uh, Pierluigi Gallini signed for £4.1 million from um, from Hellas Verona in Italy. Not that I just looked that one up. Um, you know what? To me, that doesn't smack of a instant kind of you're straight in the first team. That sounds like a competition pick to me. That sounds like, a all right, we've got one young keeper who's got everything to prove. We've got one old keeper who needs to keep his spot. Let's see which one of them stakes the claim yeah um, I'm happy with that I, well, that's what I want I don't want there to be any defined starter if Joe Bennett say for example is better than Jordan Amavi he's not but if he is <laughs> why he should be our left back two goal you know? two goal Joe Bennett Both amazing kicks. bloody hell three, he, could, he actually scored three free kicks one in training then two in the match <laughs> what a time to be alive they were good for you, Joe Bennett though you gotta say good for him but yeah um Pierluigi Gallini, yeah, smacks of a kind of a depth pick, but hey, his talent ceiling's there. Who says, says that he can go on to be our starter if he's not already? But if he's not, and Brad Guzan sticks around, where does that leave um, Mark Byrne and Jed Steer? Because I can't see Mark Byrne going anywhere, because he seems to be like a positive player in the dressing room. And for a third-choice keeper, that's all you really need. But... yeah. Sure, like he didn't play badly last season, and personally, I'd rather see him than Guzan stick around. Yeah, um, the issue is who would want Brad Guzan apart from the MLS teams who may not come in for him. I hear the Chinese are always after random Premier League players. <laughs> Graziano Pele being one of them, uh, signed to a massive deal, third highest player paid player in the world, or something like that. Crazy, Brad. You know, Brad, your calling's there, mate. Um, if you want to make some bank. Please do. Please take that <laughs> offer straight away and go. Get out of Dodge. But yeah, moving on to someone who's a massive influence and the main part of our podcast, I feel, Stan Petrov's back. How, how incredible. It's astounding. Fair play. Like you just never have expected it. And it's just yeah. great to see him looking. It's great to see him healthy and then great to see him looking as good as he does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this is our Stan the Man Petrov um, podcast. Uh, our tribute to the man because I think it's too early to shape it's too early really to predict how the squad's going to shape up you know Transformers has only just started we haven't seen what everyone's happening but we can say that Stan is back and that's just a huge boost it's a huge boost to the club I think it's a huge boost to the dressing room I mean James do you want to pick up on what do you think it means for the club what do you think it means for the fans to see him back it means genuinely it does make me quite tearful I mean this is incredible this is amazing. You know, this story is quite, going quite under the waters as well. You know, not, not many people are picking up on this, um, you know, especially in the international media. But a player has come back at, from retirement age, my ad. He was about 34 when he, you know, was diagnosed with leukemia, cancer of the blood. You know, he was 34. He was coming to the end of his career. He had quite a traumatic battle with the cancer. Beat it. Went to coach at Villa stopped coaching at Villa because then he wanted to come back and play for Aston Villa. It means so much that someone would want to do that for, for Villa, right now especially. 
Yeah, and I mean, coming from a guy that's he's not even like a hometown player, so there's no there's no Gabby Bonglahor type links, but the fact that he wants to play for us and he felt that connection with the club, just infinite respect for the guy. Yeah, he can't he can do no wrong. Absolutely. Yeah, and I you know, I'm I'm gonna go out of limb here. I think it will I'm not a guy who normally believes in the kind of, you know, grit, heart, determination narrative of how good a football team is. But I can certainly be sold on the fact that the Villa dressing room in last season and the toxic presence of certain players. uh, And, you know, I'm going to I'm going to say Gabby, you know, I'm not going to stick back on this one. I'm going to say I think it was Gabby. You know, I think Jolene Lescott's actions towards the fans didn't help. Uh, I think Mika Richards, you know, he obviously didn't provide the leadership that we all hoped he would. And uh, seeing Petrov come back into it, I think that will have a real tangible effect. It, we needed something to kind of pick this club up and, you know, and talk about changing the mentality around the club. He's done it. In a single stroke, he's done it. He wouldn't even have to be in the training squad to have done it just to have come out with the press conference like he did back in April and say, I want to play for Villa. That would have done it. it but... You know, his presence in the dressing room, it might be a bleach on all this toxicity. It might get rid of it, genuinely. It might inspire people like Michael Richards, even Gabby Ibanlaw, to know that, A, Gabby's old pal is back. You know, his best mate is back in the squad after beating leukaemia. Might get his head screwed on. And C, it might just, think, you know, ground everyone at Villa. Really bring them back to, you know, back on their feet. Realise what the game's all about, and it is about stuff like this. You know, not you know, of course, not every player comes back with you know amazing comeback like this, but it's certainly what we want our game to be about. It's about stuff like this. Is living legends. You know, we've had Olaf Malberg, Martin Larson, we had Petrov in that same team, and Carew. Those guys cemented their their place in Villa history forever. And what to what for one of them to come back after all this? <laughs> it's amazing. You know, Words can't describe it. I feel I don't think I'm doing a good enough job of saying, you know, expressing my emotions about this. They're all over the place, but it is incredible. Yeah, and I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be slightly realistic. Um, you know, a 37 year old guy who's just recovered from leukemia, he will not be. I'm just going to say this now. He's not going to be the star man. You know, he's of course not. not he's no. not the player who is going to be you know, our top player this year. I doubt that he will even really be... Well, I certainly don't think he'll be a regular starter. I wonder to what extent, you know, he'll even be a sub. But his presence in the squad, in terms of leadership, and in the championship, I think this is something that you can kind of get away with having in the squad and that can be a big benefit in the squad, will be a huge boost. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean... There's no way he was ever going to do 90 minutes 46 times a season because most players would struggle to do that, even the ones that haven't had to battle such illnesses. But like you said, just him being there will surely be a lift. And I mean, looking at this squad compared to the squad we had last summer, there just seems to be a different level of level-headedness to last season, which I think will be useful this season. Yeah, I mean, his presence is so massive to the club. He will be just as important of a performer off the pitch as on it. I mean, Stan Petrov's game was never about being the star man. It was never about being a dynamic number 10 or even like a holding midfielder. He was just there. He just played his role solidly. 
Um, my story with Stan that I can refer to most is when he first joined, he was pretty below par um, when he first started playing for Villa under Martin O'Neill. He brought him from Celtic. Um, I used to go to Villa uh, Villa Park with a lady called Diane who was Villa through and through, and she hated Petrov. <laughs> you know, she, we never. there was no instance of what we know now. There was no... He, he kind of strolled around the pitch. He'd be, always be out of position. He'd he would get caught out when he didn't need to be. Eventually, that involved into someone who was always in the right place at the right time. Um, breaking point for Petrov uh, with us was when he actually come to blows with Olaf Malberg on the pitch. And for you know, Villa fans, we all know you don't. You don't disrespect Olaf Malberg. <laughs> you don't do. You don't do it. Just the beard. Yeah, Stan Petrov did that in front of Villa Park, who hated him at the time. Who not hated him, but they were they were wasn't a positive influence. No one really loved him. Um, and he uh, came to blows with Malberg on the pitch. He got booed off. Um, he threw his shirt on the ground. Ever since that day, he was a different player. Um, and then eventually he scores a cracker at Derby. We all know that goal. And yeah, man, Stan Petrov, Villa legend, surely. There is no other. There is no higher, I feel. Even the team that may have won the European Cup, even Paul McGrath, even players like Carew Larson and Malberg, there is no higher than Stan Petra for me. Yeah, um, our, our editor, Robert Lindot, uh, he, he wrote a piece a couple of years back called uh, Why Does Cillian Petrov Matter? I totally advise you to go search that out and uh, hopefully we can link it uh, in the article that comes goes up with the podcast. And it caught, captured quite a lot that was great about him. So I'm just going to call out uh, some of the Twitter stuff that he got when he asked for people to describe him. And he got some people saying, heart of the whole, he was a true leader of men. Uh, another one, Kyle Dixon, 95, who said he was a Petrov was dependable, consistent and classy. Uh, another guy who said he was not always the best player, but always a great leader. I think that gives you a great flavor. He was a guy who, when we were good, and let's not forget, there were a couple of seasons where we really good, were good, where it really looked like we were going to break into yeah. Champions League. He was the guy who not only always looked like he gave it his all and was always a dependable performer. He was a guy who never really felt wanted to leave. There were some players no. you thought, you know what, someone's going to come for him. Ash Young, you thought, someone's going to come for this guy eventually. Um, you know, there are others as well. I think James Milner, we always knew, you know, yeah. there was a point where he was smacking in so many goals and being putting in such great performances that you just thought, okay, someone's going to come in for him. No one, no one was ever going to come in for Petrov. You know, Man City no. did not want Stylian Petrov. Manchester United did not want Stylian Petrov. But we wanted him because we knew that every single game he was going to play his best and he was going to will himself to play his best. Yeah, it's uh, he really does escape definition. I mean, you wouldn't pick him, you know, out of the world's best footballers, the world's best team. If you were to make your 11, you wouldn't pick him. But he'd, if he was on the other team, he'd prove you wrong. You know, he could, I firmly believe he could have fit into any team on the world. Give him time and he'd, he'd be the rock of any team. He's just that guy. He really is. I mean, uh, I remember playing, stupid as it sounds, I remember playing games like Football Manager 2006 and Barcelona would always come in for Stylian Petrov and you'd scoff at the idea. But, you know, really thinking about it, teams need people like Stan Petrov. Every single football team should have a guy like Stan Petrov to be that bedrock. I mean, every team seems to have one, but I can't think of many that do it better than Stan. And I think that's really what he is. He's just a really resolute player both on and off the pitch like when he was still at Celtic I think this was just after he signed for Celtic 
I'm not entirely sure if this is true, but I do hope it's true because this story is bloody brilliant. I know what you're going to say, and it is true. That Go makes ahead. it even better. Um, but he was basically struggling to fit in, was homesick, didn't know much English, so started working in his mate's burger van to pick up the language. And can you imagine any other Premier League footballer doing that in today's day and age? You just wouldn't, would you? No, and that was a... Must have been pretty rough for him in a Scottish burger van. <laughs> I mean, bloody hell. If you can't even speak English as well. But yes, yeah, Celtic fans adore Petrov. He was a dynamic attacking midfielder for them. And uh, do you guys remember any of his time at Celtic? Vaguely. Like Celtic were my second club back in the day. So FIFA 2005 kind of era. I do vaguely remember him. And he scored quite a few goals. Yeah, he end. was pretty bloody fantastic for Celtic. Um, he, I don't feel like he actually recaptured that form for Villa, but he was in a very different way. He was a very different player at Aston Villa. Extremely. Plus, um, it can't help. It can't hurt that, you know, quality of opposition, Premier League versus Scottish Premier League. So he's always going to be different and less attack-minded, but no less effective. Yeah, he really did have his way with the uh, Scottish Premiership. And uh comes to England, and uh, I mean, who'd... I, could you have expected this? You know, fall in love with someone like Stan Petrov. He's a really unfashionable footballer. He's not the loudest voice, but um, stories are coming out about this guy, and it just, it's amazing. I mean, Jack Grealish said the other day when he was 15, 13 on the pitch, Stan Petrov would come onto the, the kid's pitch and just kick him, just, you know, <laughs> lay the boot into him. And Grealish would be, you know, getting red, teary eyes and going, why, why are you doing this? And uh, Petrov would go up to him and go, well, it's a compliment. If people are kicking you, that's a compliment. I'm kicking you because there's no other way for me, Stan, to stop you, Jack, running you know, rings around me. Yeah. And in a way, it's kind, of, it's kind of the shocking and what's so great about Petrov's story. It doesn't really fit into narratives that people look for. You know, narratives, people look for the homegrown lad. You don't look for the guy who's just come in from Bulgaria, you know, from north of the border and playing at Celtic to become the hometown hero. Um you know, no, you, you don't look at a, uh, a dumpy, quite unfit, uh, ageing Bulgarian to be this kind of player. Um, Stan Petrov's never been a... It, he doesn't look like the model professional, but he embodies that. He is, he is number one in the world for me. Professional footballer, the embodiment. If he had a bit more talent, who bloody knows what he could have got gone on to do with this attitude but man beating leukemia and coming back to potentially play first team football in the championship and beyond for Aston Villa I mean who knows where this story actually ends yeah absolutely and um you know I think part of it as well is that we've had, we've had so few of those figures in the club over the last couple of years you know everyone who you hoped might turn into that solid dependable figure just was never there you know we obviously you know we all know what that Gabby has not been <laughs> Not being all that he, we hoped that he would be as a hometown boy. Mika Richards hasn't come in this year and done it. Yeah, you know there are other players as well who, over the years, you know Richard Dunn, um, James Collins, those kind of players who were, you know, good men on the field. You know, did their jobs, but they didn't take that kind of role in the club, for the, which you kind of make stories about. You know, the kind of guy that you want to tell fans of other teams. Hey, you haven't heard of this guy. But this is why I support Villa. This is why he's so great. Yeah, I mean, there's only one Stan Petrov, and man, he plays for Aston Villa. How cool. How cool is that? We've got that story. We've got that narrative. And man, 
seeing Stylian Petrov uh, lead the team out at Villa Park because he will be captain surely. There is no way um, unless Alfie gets it, who you know, exemplary player. Uh, gets here, but man, seeing Stan Petrov walk out onto Villa Park six years or so after I last witnessed him play, I w- you still can't expect it. It's, it feels like I'm making it up, to be completely honest. But yeah, Ellis, where does Stan Petrov come for you? Number one, surely? Yeah, I, you can't put anyone above him. There's great players, and there's players that are right at the top of my list of best Villa players ever, and then they stand above them just because of his attitude and what he's been through and how he's come back from it. Like you've got your Melbergs and your Larsons who are both amazing and otherwise would be top, but you can't top Stan. No. What about yourself, Adam? Yeah, and I think the key is, you know, Villa player. Is he the best player who's come through Villa? No, but he's the player who came through Villa and decided, you know, this was this was the club where he you know a club where he was going to help make his name. Now, obviously, he did that at other clubs as well, Celtic and uh, TSK Sofia. But you know, I think the fact that he's coming back to us, uh, you know, it's just it makes him a legend. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, Stan Petrov. I mean, that Berg van story really does sell him. Um, he said to his kids uh, when he was turning out for a Sunday league team in Sutton Coalfield, he said to his kids, you'll see me playing for Villa one day. And it, this guy had come back from leukaemia. He wasn't looking well. He was quite overweight after, you know, enjoying himself, after, you know, giving the all clear, the remission, the cancellation of no more leukaemia, no more cancer of the blood. Nothing's wrong with you, Stan. You're free, you know, to live out the rest of your life without having to worry about all of that. He turns around to his kids and goes, yeah, you're going to see me playing for Aston Villa again. This will be the perfect example of showing my kids how to achieve their dreams. And he's going to do it. He's a contract signing away from doing it. And I've got to believe that Villa will be offering him a contract. He did not look out of place, albeit against, you know, a sixth division Austrian team. He didn't look out of place in the Villa side. I think there's no reason for Villa to not offer him a contract. I mean, you've seen like a few years ago, Stoke offered Michael Owen a sort of low wage but pay as you play kind of deal there's no reason we can't do that for Stan and I can't see any reason to not do it and if we did it would just be a P- if we didn't rather it would just be a PR nightmare so I'm just not say- not saying that's the only reason why we should because goddamn, he deserves it but there's absolutely no reason why Villa should not offer him a contract if I said that if right if you feel Adam yeah, yeah. you're you're, you're- Phil Adam's more grounded to the uh, realities of football than both of us. So uh, this will be a real final say on the matter I feel about contracts. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I see I see no no reason not to give. I think, as I said, in the championship, you can afford to have a player who perhaps you're not thinking is your 90-minute man, but he's there to provide leadership. I think he also fits in quite well with the signing of Tommy Elphick, who's the signing of another player who perhaps... You know, obviously that he's been offloaded by Bournemouth. They've decided that he's not quite Premier League quality. But in terms of what he could do on the pitch, in terms of the leadership qualities he could provide, and in terms of how direly Villa need that right now, um, he's going to be a valuable a valuable buy. I think Petrov fits into that scheme, that he changes the atmosphere around the club, he changes the narrative, and that's when you start slotting players in around them. Yeah, I mean, Stylian Petrov, I feel he can do a job for Villa as long as he wants to and as long as he's able to. Um, he's coming up to 40. That possibly means there's around three years left in the tank, real, realistically. Um, if Villa are to stay in the championship, there's no reason that he can see those three years out of Villa and even make some uh, bit part appearances in the Premier League to close a match. 
We've got to get um, back there first. Yeah, we have to get back there first. But man, I have no doubt that we will soon. Uh, fingers crossed. But yeah, we've got a, we've got a new leader, as if we needed one with uh, Tommy Alfie. But uh, yeah, uh, Stan Petrov is back, and I for one can't be any more pleased. Same. Got that sums it up pretty perfectly. Stands the man. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel like uh, we've come to an end there then, a natural end. Uh, Stan Petrov is back, beat leukemia. For anyone who knows anything to do with leukemia, it's, uh, as with all cancers, it's horrible. It's among the worst you can have. Uh, the worst being pancreatic cancer, which is you know absolutely devastating to a body. But uh, the way cancer works is it's, it latches on, it uses your uh, body as a sort of London underground network around to affect all the organs. Uh, when it's in the, ca- the blood, the very train that travels through that underground network, it can be devastating, and uh, for Stan to not only beat that, to go back to a job coaching with Villa, and then to play for Villa, it's a uh, it's a story for the ages. And uh, you know, I'm blessed to be alive when this is happening. This is something that my granddad would tell me about when he saw Cruyff at Villa Park against Barcelona and stuff like that. It really is an amazing time to be a Villa fan right now. And yeah, uh, any final thoughts on Stan, you guys? Just looking forward to a new season. And uh, seeing him back in back in the team, and you know, if anyone, yeah, I think it'll be a reason for people to come back to Villa Park. That's a huge thing. You know, it's a reason for fans uh, to come back to the stadium to feel that the club, uh, you know, is more than just, you know, <laughs> a losing money machine that we've felt in the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. What about yourself, Ellis? Are you going back down to Villa Park to witness a return? Um, I'm going to be very selfish and say I hope he doesn't make a first team appearance until I get back to Birmingham in September because I really <laughs> want to be in Villa Park and watch him like lead the team out. But just seeing him back will be tremendous. I- yeah, I've always been worried that he might get booed, but then again, he has earned the right to be booed. This is what he wants. He doesn't, you know, he's earned that right. That's all he wanted to earn that right to be loved or booed or whatever. But I don't think there's anyone who can find a negative with Stan, even if he falls on his ass and the ball rolls through his legs, past a flailing Brad Guzan, hopefully not, into the goal. But yeah, guys, uh, Stan's back. What more can we say? Amazing stuff. I feel like it's time to end it there. What, do you guys agree? Perfect. It's been a pleasure. Perfect. Stan Petrov's back. For all those of you who don't know, he beat cancer. He's back and he's going to play for Aston Villa and I can't stop saying that because I barely, I can barely believe it but yeah thanks again for listening to episode 6 of On The Pod my lord uh, myself Ellis and Adam will be back shortly uh, within the next 3 or 4 weeks I believe to uh, speak about a uh, season preview for Aston Villa I believe um, things are kind of wrapping up with the but we'll be wrapping up with the pre-season by the time we uh, get to August so yeah perfect time to sum up uh, what Villa have done in the transfer market and uh, maybe a bit more on Petrov see how he's developing but yeah from uh, me from Ellis from Adam, it's bye. Thank you very much for listening.